We are in the book of Judges this morning. We're continuing our little mini-series in the life of Gideon. We find ourselves today in chapter 7, verse number 7 to 22. Verse number 7, right up to verse 22. We also have other scriptures to look at as well. I want to welcome all of you. Thank you for being with us today. Verse number 7. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. So the people took vittles and in their hand and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, unto his tent, and retained those three hundred men, and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered it into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pura, thy servant, down to the host. Thou shalt hear what they say, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Purah, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for the multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside. For the multitude. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow. And he said, Behold, I dream a dream. And lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along. And the fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all of the host. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, watch us now, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet in every man's hand and every pitcher's and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look, look on to me and do likewise and behold when I come into the outside of the camp it shall be that as I do so so shall ye do when I blow the trumpet and all that are with me then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon so Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch and they had but newly set the watch and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in the hands 
and the 300 companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands so they blew with all and they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon and they stood every man in his place round about the camp and all the host ran and cried and fled and the 300 blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow even throughout all the host and the host fled to Beth Shittah in Zerath and to the border of Abel Melach Tabath wow what an incredible story we have of power like the song of victory of healing and deliverance we are continuing our series in the life of Gideon I've entitled this message simply mission impossible mission impossible and as we begin today I need to ask a question has God ever asked you my brother and my sister or asked you to do something for him that felt that you felt absolutely inadequate to do that you felt was absolutely impossible mission impossible this mission is not only impossible but it doesn't make sense have you ever said that to yourself as you believe that God was asking you to do something well this is what happened in, in Gideon God asked him to do something that seemed impossible that seemed ridiculous that seemed to make no sense whatsoever but as I mentioned earlier my friends and this is my premise this morning that God always I repeat always works best in the realm of the impossible always when you see the miraculous in scripture you always see the miraculous where the backdrop seems grim where the backdrop seems absolutely impossible and dark the backdrop to our text we notice that God has reduced Gideon's army from 32,000 men to 300 why why would God do that we see in verse number 2 of chapter 7 lest Israel claim the glory for herself against me he says by thine own hand that I have saved by my hand I have saved me so God reduced the army from thousands to 300 and the main reason is so that when the victory comes Israel would not take glory for herself how many know that's a big thing with God how many know some ministries have collapsed because the ministry took glory for itself how many know that people ministries buildings organizations have collapsed under the umbrella of Christianity why because that organization that person that ministry has taken glory for themselves and that's one thing that God will not tolerate you see God wanted an army so small that when the victory was won nobody could get the glory but him alone and that's why Paul says whatever you do 
Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you do, think about whatever is. That's a huge, that's vast. Whatever you do, you do it for what? The glory of God. There's no mention of me, myself. It's for His glory, whatever it is. Now you think about what that means. Think about your own life, what you do, where you go. Why do you do the things that you do? We must ask ourselves. And that's why in Isaiah 42, the Bible says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Again, God is very concerned about this. And if you want God's blessing in your life, then we must make sure that whatever we're doing, that we do it for His glory, that whatever we do, we do not do it to be seen of men, that we don't do it to receive the accolades of men. And so with that in mind, God has downsized Gideon's army to 300. God is ready to give Israel a great victory. We see this in verse number 7. Verse number 9 and 15, we notice it's in the past tense. It has already been done. You have the victory, and Gideon hasn't even gone into battle yet, because God promised it. And if God's promised it, my friends, you can be sure it's going to come to pass. If God brings you to it, you can be sure He'll bring you through it. We have the promise of God, and throughout history, God has proven that He does not need great armies to defeat the enemy. We have seen throughout scriptures, God has never used the majority. God and His people have always been the minority. The odds have always been against the people of God, always against what the world might look upon as having an advantage. We never see, in fact, I was just looking at scripture and I couldn't believe how many times I've seen, especially in the Old Testament, situations where God's people were outnumbered, where the situation seemed so dark, so impossible, and yet his people prevailed. For instance, in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, we see a fascinating story that I've never heard anybody preach from. I've, I've used it as an illustration in the past, but I've never seen anyone or heard of this text ever been preached or mentioned. It's an obscure text perhaps, but it's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. We begin at verse number 1. Very quickly, I just want to give you the backdrop of what's happening, propelling us into our text this morning. It was in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, began Abijah to reign over Judah. So Jeroboam, Israel, Abijah, Judah. Verse 3, And Abijah set the battle in array with an army of valiant men, of 400,000 chosen men. Jeroboam also set the battle in array against him, 800,000 chosen men being mighty of valor. And Abijah stood upon the Mount Zemaram. He looked at Jeroboam and all of Israel, verse number 5, 
ought ye not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever even to him and to his sons by the covenant of salt how dare you King Jeroboam you're trying to fight against against Judah do you not know that God has promised that David's kingdom would reign forever how dare you try to usurp his authority and so we see an army of 400,000 versus an army of 800,000 verse 6 and yet Jeroboam the son of Nabat the servant of Solomon the son of David is risen up hath rebelled against his Lord and so we see rebellion usually there's rebellion when it comes to wanting authority wanting power you'll find the root of rebellion deep inside notice now verse number 14 and when Judah looked back behold the battle was before behind and they cried unto the Lord and the priests sounded with the trumpets I found this story fascinating because we're going to be introduced to another form of trumpets a little bit later with Gideon. It's interesting how God uses trumpets, 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 trumpets. Verse 15, then the men of Judah gave a shout. Here we see another similar scenario. There's also a shout with Gideon. Isn't that interesting? Never saw that before. A shout! As the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all of Israel before... By shouting? What? A shout? And the children of Israel fled before Judah and God delivered them into their hands. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter. Verse 18, thus the children of Israel were brought under it a time and the children of Judah prevailed because they relied on God vastly outnumbered but they obeyed God and God gave him the victory as they shouted as they blew the trumpets what a fascinating story that leads us into our story this morning we have a promise here that God's going to do something powerful a promise but the promise my brothers and my sisters and here's where some of us miss it the promise requires obedience every promise that God gives us you will find there is something that you need to do we don't like to talk much about that but there is an important element and it's called obedience we often forget that we have a responsibility that God has called us his joint heirs we are co-workers with Christ co-workers that means there's something that we need to do we are his ambassadors something we need to do joint heirs royal priest there's something there's a responsibility that we need to partake in we are his workmanship notice the word work we are his workmanship and so God said to Gideon I'm gonna deliver the Midianites into your hands but you have to notice verse 9 you have to arise and go down and fight excuse me that's right verse 9 arise and go down arise and you can perhaps hear Gideon saying now wait a minute Lord 
if you're going to defeat them then why don't you just do it and we'll just stay here and watch you know from afar off we'll just you know take it easy we'll sit back I mean you're doing all the work and that's fine and there's a principle of truth there absolutely but, but God, God's going deeper and many times God will test our hearts He say well, j- just do it we'll just sit back we don't have to get involved we don't have to get our hands dirty we don't have to go to Liberia and be missionaries if you're going to save them save them you don't need me Tell people of me, tell them, I've heard people say, well, if God's going to do what he's going to do, it doesn't need me to get involved. Oh, really? That's the easy way out, you see. We like the easy way out. God will do everything. We'll just sit back and just sit back and just enjoy and relax. My friends, that's not how it works. The promise requires obedience. The promise requires obedience. If my people, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19, if my people are willing, number one, willing, and obedient, number two, the willingness, there's a prerequisite, and the obedience, number two, ye shall eat the good of the land, or the fat of the land, you will have the blessing, you will have the victory, but there needs to be a willingness, and there needs to be obedience, you see, you've got to get out of the boat, Peter, that's right, you see, my friends, you've got to pick up the manna, God won't pick up the manna for you, he'll bring the manna, but you've got to pick it up, you've got to get your own oil, five virgins who lacked wisdom, You've got to get your own oil. Stop looking for other people's oil. Stop trying to sponge off other people's oil. Stop trying to get someone else's and get your own. There's a responsibility. We have a responsibility. God told Gideon, arise, get into the fray. Don't just sit back. Too many of us just sit back. We're just too comfortable sitting back. And my, this is for free. And, and some of us who are struggling coming back to church because of, of certain fears, you've become comfortable sitting back. And now it's hard to get back into the fray. Well, that, that's for somebody for sure. Got to get involved. Life lesson number one, you see, God's promise doesn't cancel our responsibility to obey God's promise does not cancel cancel not C-O C-A cancel our responsibility to obey arise go down arise get up arise go and do arise. now you're not saved by works but works is the fruit that you've been saved are you with me? Interesting story. I, 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 this is one of the, I, I love this story. It's a true story of a, of a pastor who uh, invited uh, another fellow minister uh, over for lunch at his house, and he had a, a wonderful garden. And uh, so the minister uh, comes in, and the, the, the pastor took him in his garden, and the minister said, "Oh, pastor," he says, "What a." beautiful garden you and God have the pastor said yeah yeah that's true yeah it's a be- 
but you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. Listen, you got a garden, man, you got to get rid of those weeds. You got to water the grass, trim this, pluck out that. A lot of work. Listen, I've had a backyard for most of my life. Let me tell you something. You don't get green grass because you wish there's green. Listen, you got to water the grass. You got to take care of that garden. We, we, we're okay with God doing things, but we get a little nervous when it comes to our responsibility. Let me say it again. God's promise does not cancel out our responsibility to obey. And so God promises victory, but he also promises his presence to assure us, listen, God is not going to simply promise victory, send them out into war, and then abandon them. Of course not. We have a promise that if God is leading you to it, he'll bring you through it, and that also he'll be with you if he's leading you there. If God has promised you anything, whatever it might be, you can be sure what accompanies his promise is his presence. There's two Ps for you. What accompanies his promise is his presence. Philippians 1.6, he that's begun a good work in you shall complete it. How does he complete it? He completes it with process, but he completes it by being with you, by leading you, directing you, empowering you. It's his presence. Matthew 28, Jesus sends out his disciples to share the gospel and preach the gospel, and he says, Lo, I am with you to the very ends of the earth. In Psalms, a great promise that he's a very present help in time of trouble. Though the mountains shake, though there's an earthquake, though there's turbulence, and, and, the, and, and the waters, they, they swell rivers, with the, there's floods, there's tsunamis, I am in the, God is in the midst. He promises to be in the midst of your tsunami, in the midst of your earthquake, he promises his presence. Did not David say in Psalm 16, I believe, the Lord is at my right hand. The Lord is by my side. He's my right hand. His presence guides me. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We have his promise. And now God wants to show something to Gideon that's very important for him. Twice God said in verse 9 and 15, for I have what? Delivered you into his hands. He says it once in verse 9, and now he says it in verse 15. I have delivered you. That's in the past tense, and Gideon hasn't gone into battle yet. Did you see that? He hasn't gone into battle at all. And God promises, it's a fait accompli, like we say in French. It's done. Finished. Gideon is going to see this very, very soon. Now watch this. Gideon looks. And remember, Gideon had some, some concerns. And God was dealing with him. didn't abandon him. And you can possibly look at Gideon at this point. As God says, I'll deliver you. And Gideon's looking. 
And the Bible tells us he sees the Midianites and he sees the Amalekites, how vast they are. The Bible says they are so vast, they're like a locust of grasshoppers. Have you ever seen a swarm of locusts? I, I, listen, I have seen them in documentaries. They are the most incredible. But they can devastate crops. I mean, billions of dollars are lost through swarms of locusts. They are so vast. The Bible says they're like the sand of, uh, uh, upon, the, upon the shores. I mean, they're so vast. And you can perhaps sense Gideon saying, oh my goodness, how are we going to defeat an army like this? They are so vast, so large, so numerous. Have you ever been in a situation where God has called you to do something and you've looked and you've seen the Midianites and you've seen the Amalekites and you see how large and how vast and how outnumbered you are and, 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 and fear begins to creep in. How is this going to work out, Lord? I, I just don't, I don't understand. I don't see it. How many times has God asked you to do something that you just don't understand? You don't see it yet. You don't understand. Why would you even choose me to begin with, Lord? My name is Gideon. I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. Nothing good, Manasseh. And not only that, Lord, my my family is the least. My, we're, we're the least in Manasseh. And you're picking me? Gideon had every reason to fear and to doubt from a natural perspective, his own pedigree, his fears, his experiences. And now he looks across the land and he sees a swarm, a locust, a, a swarm of Amalekites. And, 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 and he's got 300 men to fight thousands and thousands of, of these experienced soldiers. Let me ask you, how would you feel? Oh, I, I know because you've read the story. I know that you would say, oh, no, no problem. You know, God spoke. Really? Can you really be honest enough, put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a moment? How would you feel if God told you to fight the Amalekites and all you have are 300 men who don't know what they're doing? 300 men that were qualified into Gideon's army, not because they're strong or they're experienced in Warfare, but because they know how to drink water from a brook. That's how you qualify. If you are going to try to assess God's will or God's direction at times in your life through logic, you will end up in some serious difficulty. I said this a few weeks ago. I don't know how a black cow can eat green grass and produce white milk. But it happens. The life of Gideon is an incredible life lesson for all of us. 
That's why we're drawn to this man's character because in somehow and in some way we're able to relate with Gideon, can't we? We, we all seem to be going through things where we, get, where we question and we don't fully understand. And so now God's going to give him a dream. And we notice this dream in verses 13 and 14. And this dream has two meanings. God will give you a dream at times. God will give you some kind of direction if you're truly sincere and you're questioning and you really want God's will but you don't fully understand, friends. You can be sure that God will do something. God will give you something that will confirm what He's called you to do. God will always confirm what He's called you to do. You can be sure of that. It may not be the way you want it. And so now... Watch now, behold, there was a man, just an, a random man. You'll always find a, a just so happened. You'll always find God bringing some random situation in your life, something you least expected. And that person will have a message or something to tell you. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews, be careful who you entertain, for some people have entertained angels unaware. Sometimes God will send an angel as a message for you, a word for you. I, I, got to be careful so here comes this man he's, he's not even meant we don't even know his name a man that told who is this man? a dream unto his fellow and said behold I dreamed a dream and lo a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came into the tent and smote it and it fell and overturned it that the tent lay along was lay waste keep going and his fellow answered and said this is nothing else except Say the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash and the man of Israel. For into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all of the host. What? What's, what's, okay, I, I get the last part, but what's this cake of barley? And even though sometimes God, you know, sometimes God just gives us things and they just, they seem so allegorial or so, just almost, almost strange. And like, but, but can't you just be, can't you just speak and, and can't you be black and white? You know, friends, sometimes God is not black and white. Sometimes it's not always very clear. And there's a reason why it's not always clear. That's why Jesus spoke in parables. But there's a meaning to this dream, and there's significance to this dream. And so, a cake of barley in Gideon's day was a thing of poverty. This is very important. This dream has a twofold meaning and it's also weakness barley is a picture of poverty and weakness and every fall the Midianites would come and swoop into the land of Israel steal all of the produce and they would raise all summer they would work and they would they would come in like locusts see like locusts and eat all what they harvested all this and they steal the cattle as well they take it back to their land, leaving Israel in a state of poverty. And we read earlier that the Israelites were crawling into caves in the mountains and scrapping together whatever they can find. And they can. And this was their state. And as they listened, the meaning of the dream started to make sense. They sensed their own weakness they realized how perhaps insignificant they might be in light of this enemy. They realized that there's really nothing I can do to, to win this battle like, like barley. And as they see this, this is important because 
without recognizing your weakness, friends, in any kind of battle, you will lose. Why is this so important? Why, a cake, why was a picture of poverty and weakness so important, much to the contrary of the prosperity gospel of today? I'll tell you why. Because God looks upon a man who is what? Contrite, broken, poor in spirit. This is the person God looks upon, Isaiah chapter 66. Didn't Pastor Mel, didn't you use that with scripture last week? 66 verse 2. He looks, this is the person that God has favor upon. Weakness. Humility. Brokenness. The very opposite of the world. Interesting nugget I learned and I saw a few years ago. Again, a scripture you will not hear many people use. I've never, again, never heard a sermon from this text. It's found in Deuteronomy, George. I think I gave it to you earlier. If you turn to Deuteronomy, chapter 32, verse 36, a powerful little nugget of truth. For the Lord shall judge his people and repent or turn around. God cannot repent. Can turn around himself for his servants when he seeth that their power, did you see that? Their power is gone and there is none shut up or left. Excuse me? God will turn things around, watch this now, when he sees that you no longer are walking in what you perceive is your strength. When you become weak. When your own personal agendas fall, when, when your, what, your power is gone, your own strength. Why do you think Paul said, when I am weak, that's when I become strong? The same thing here. God says, I will turn things around when, when he sees that your power, that you've become humbled in his presence. When you are broken. Wow. This is a lesson that both King Uzziah and King Asa never learned. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 26 verse 15, that the Lord's hand was upon King Uzziah until he became strong. Until he became strong in himself. God's hand lifted from King Uzziah when he thought he did everything on his own strength and his own ability. I am what I am because of all the education I have. I am what I am because I got a high IQ. I am what I am because I worked harder than you. I am what I am because I speak better than you. I... Every good gift comes from above. Don't ever take credit for your gift because you don't earn it. God gave it to you. It's not your gift, it's his gift. Which tells me I can't take credit. Nor can you. The minute you start taking credit for your works and your gifts, God's hand will lift from your life. That's why some of these ministers that you might have worshipped no longer minister today because they became their own... Because the mirror became the most important part of the furniture in their house. And they thought they were invincible and indispensable. And when you start thinking that you're indispensable and that you're the cat's meow, God will lift his hand from your life. 
You can be sure of that. May not be today, it may not be next week, but I can guarantee you it will be someday. King Uzziah became a leper. King Asa, the Bible said, started so well a great revival hit the land. But then all of a sudden he, stopped, he began to rely upon the arm of flesh. He started taking comfort with the king of Syria and he relied on their strength rather than God. And he died a miserable man. He died with a disease in his feet that many believe is gout. How these men, how the mighty have fallen, all because they became proud in their own conceits, thinking that they can do it all by themselves. And that can happen when God blesses you. And how many times have you heard me say, it's as great as being blessed by God is. We all want it. There is a danger in being blessed by God. And the danger is when you start thinking, hey, look what I did. It's a trap that we can fall into. And so this Barley that we see here is a picture of weakness and brokenness and real, Israel realizes this is what they are but it's something else too. You see, you see so, so now they, they, they see it, they realize it but notice also God is doing something and I said to you my first messenger that I give you two Ps before there's participation there's what? Preparation. Thank you Elaine. At least somebody's listening. Before there's participation, there must be preparation. God doesn't just throw you into the fray. There's preparation, process. We don't like process. We want the product, but the process, the process, the process. And God is serious about process. We're not. We don't think we need it. We think we're already, we, we can handle it. Well, I've been doing this for years. No, 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 friends. Process. And God knows when you're ready, not you. God knows when you're ready. See, in heaven, there's no McDonald's drive throughs that doesn't exist. In heaven, there's no microwaves. I can tell you that right now. God has one big, huge oven, and it's always on slow bake. That's just how it is. That's how we learn. I did a barbecue yesterday with my family, and uh, somebody asked me, they said, well, do, uh, Dino, you know, how, how, how do you make the ribs so good? I don't know. I said, well, that's nothing really. I mean, I, I don't get there, but I'll tell you what I do. I, I always put it on low just a little higher and I let the ribs or anything slowly marinate and bake into it slowly where now the meat becomes tender and I know we're going to break for lunch in a few moments but, uh, but that's slow bake God wants you to be tender and you put it on high you're going to get burnt very quickly doesn't taste good takes time and for all those that don't like meat and some vegetarians out there that don't like what I'm saying, it's okay, God bless you, God loves me just the same as he loves you. Whether I have ribs or, or whether I have broccoli, God still loves me. Don't let me get into that one either. But this dream is also, number two, prophetic. So we see God wants them to understand their, 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 their dependency, that they are weak, that's fine, I see, that's great, Lord, I can't do anything without you, I see that, but also it's prophetic, it's also prophetic, yeah, yeah, what's going to happen, this is a picture of what's going to happen to the Midianites, and the Amalekites, of what's going to take place to their army, what's going to happen to them, 
So let's look at the Midianites. Let's not, let, 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 we just looked about how Gideon feels. Well, let's, let's, let's put ourselves into the sandals of the Midianites for just a moment. There are the Midianites and the Amalekites. They're going to fight Israel. And there was 32,000 men of Israel at one point. And slowly but surely, that army was diminishing and they haven't even gone into battle yet. 32,000 and all of a sudden two-thirds of them leave there's 10,000 left and still out of the 10,000 9,700 leave till you get 300 men and the Midianites are observing this and they're saying what in the world is going on here what is happening here I believe there's a purpose there's a reason for it I believe this instilled some kind of confusion, some kind of fear. Again, it didn't make sense, didn't make sense originally to Gideon, and now certainly it's not making sense to the Midianites. And what do we see? Verse number 15. Oh, this could be the key to the whole scripture, to the whole text. What do we see in verse 15? As, as, as Gideon gets encouragement, and he hears the word of the Lord, and he has this dream interpreted, and he understands what's going on. God is constantly confirming to Gideon what he's called to do. What does Gideon do? And so it was when Gideon heard did you see that when he heard the interpretation of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he what he worshiped and returned to the host of Israel and said arise for the Lord has he what he, he what he worshiped what is it about worship he worshiped He worshipped. My friends, how many know that worship is the key? Is the key and necessary for someone to do an experience before you get involved in any kind of spiritual warfare? Worship must always come first. When you hear what God is going to do, and if God has called you, you've got to sit back and say, Lord, I, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to pray. What is it about worship? We're going to look at very quickly. What is it about worship? Worship is so important. It's the key. It's the key. Did, does it not say in John chapter 4, my wife was telling me she did this in her women's Bible study uh, on Tuesday, that Jesus is looking for people who? For looking for people who are what? Worship him in what? Why is he looking for those who worship him? Why couldn't it be something else? Why couldn't it be preach or administrate or sing? Worshippers. Listen, you can worship without singing, by the way. There's a lot of singing going on that's not worship. That's just for free. He's looking first and foremost for worshipers. Why? Because true worship is an expression of your devotion and love. You can't love God without worshiping Him. Why do you think David was so great? Why was he such a great worshiper? He's considered number one to be worth. It's the first thing because he loved God. And worship comes forth as a result of your love and expression of your love for God. God is looking 
for a people who will worship him in spirit and truth. There's a sermon there, but I won't get into it. In spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. And that's exactly what Jehoshaphat did in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 17 and 18. When Jehoshaphat heard, watch this now, again, a very similar scenario. He was going to face the enemy. He was outnumbered vastly. He was full of fear. He called the fast and prayer. And the prophet came to him and told him, Jehoshaphat, stand back. God's going to fight your battle. Same thing that he told Gideon. Isn't that interesting? And what did Jehoshaphat do? Exactly what Gideon did. He bowed down and he worshiped the Lord. Do you see the parallels? That's why I'm bringing you to these stories that I brought you earlier about Abja and Jeroboam. Stories. They all have the same thread that seems to be weaved through all these stories and there's a reality, there's a spiritual truth hidden in each story if we can just see it. And so he worships as an expression of his love as Jehoshaphat did and many, many others did. There's power in worship there's victory in worship. Have we seen this? We've seen this everywhere. In 2 Kings chapter 3, the very same Jehoshaphat joining up three kings to go into battle. And they were going to fight the enemies of the land. And they weren't sure what to do. And someone said, but there's a prophet in the land. He will give you the word. And I'm paraphrasing. And as they end up traveling several miles through the desert. There's a, there's a famine and there's a drought in the land and they're traveling to meet this, this prophet, Elisha, that they heard of, that they're going to receive a word from the Lord what to do. At least they had the presence of mind to do that. And they finally, after a week I believe it is, of traveling and they're, they're thirsty, they're hungry, they meet the prophet and they ask him, what should we do? What is the word? And before Elisha gave him the word, what did Elisha say? Verse number four, I believe it is. It said, before I tell you anything, go and get the minstrels. Go and get the musicians. Because you need to worship. We need to worship. You see, before the word came, they worshiped. Before the word came, they worshiped. And as they worshipped, the Lord gave them a word. And I preached on this a while ago. Dig. Dig the ditches. And that's when the water came. But before the word came, they worshipped. Did you see that, my friends? Why do you think we worship before the preaching? The same principle. We worship to prepare us. We worship as an expression of our love to God. We worship because that's what we need to do first before we do anything. We praise him and we worship him. Judah went into battle under Jehoshaphat. And what did they do? They went into battle under the banner of praise and worship. Now, I'm not sure, George, you showed it in 2 Kings. I want people to see that because I don't think it was on the screen. 
So let's go to 2 Kings chapter 3. I want us to see this. I really want us to see this. I don't want us to miss this. 2 Kings chapter 3. Notice verse number 14. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely where it is not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look towards thee, nor see thee, but now bring me the minstrels. Verse 15, And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus saith the Lord. Did you see that? They worshipped, then the word came, Thus saith the Lord. Gideon had the interpretation, he worshipped, and then he went into battle. Last week, Pastor Melody preached a message, and she just mentioned, let's worship. Worshipped. Didn't really say more than that at one point. Something in the spirit realm resonated. Something took hold of the congregation. And without music, without anything, people began to worship. I think I saw Pauline just stand up and begin to praise the Lord. A few others. Gloria, I think you stood up. Just the spirit of worship took over the, the service. And we continued right into the altar. And God had his way. There's something about worship Worship is so important. That's why David, he bowed down and worshiped the Lord over and over again. Worship is never based on circumstances. Worship is never based on... You don't worship God because He's good and He's done miracles for you. Remember, Elisha called the minstrels to worship and they were still in drought. The miracle hadn't come yet. No, 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 no. You don't worship after the miracle comes. You worship before the miracle comes. Anybody can worship God after the miracle comes. Anybody can praise God because they've got a blessing. It's when they worshiped. Then the hand of the Lord came. Do you see it? That's a pattern for our lives. That's a pattern that Paul gives us in 2 Corinthians 5. We are to walk by what? Faith and not by sight. So as we're walking by faith, in a sense we are worshiping. We are trusting. We are giving God the praise. You know friends, I'm going to tell you something. When I said worship isn't based on circumstances, believe me, I can tell you. Brother Davis, you can... You'll understand this and you can relate to this one. I had a missions trip to Haiti. Goodness, what, what year was that, Nadia? 2001, maybe it was. I was in Brantford. No, was we, no, was I forget that I'm not good with dates. Around there, okay. And we were in Haiti and um, I was also in the Dominican Republic. And we ought to minister to these people to bless them. We gave them some food. We're just ministering to them. And we ended up in Haiti. And I found out that there's a lot of people living in the dumps in Haiti. They actually live in the city dump. 
That's where they live. Now, I, I want you to understand what I'm talking about. The city dump. That's right. All the smells, all the, 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 the indescribable squalor, dis- absolute disgust. So I just said, hey guys, let's go. So we ended up going with the small team into the dumps in Haiti. The dumps where refuse was everywhere. I have no words. I can't even describe to you. I have no words. There were so many smells. I didn't know what. And there they were. And one of them said, oh, hello. You know, they speak French. I speak French. And so they took me. Can I show you my house? These are people. I said, your house? Yes. And so they brought me to where they were living in the dumps. They had little places in the corner. You know, they had... They, they, they would pack up some of the garbage as a chair and eventually it would solidify so it can become like a chair. They slept on refuse and, and bags and that was their bed and they would try to decorate it with little ornaments that they would find in the dumps and they were proud of their little house. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm dying inside of me. I, 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 I don't even have any words. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this. For many reasons, the smell, the, these people's attitudes, the attitudes, they're content with a dump, and having a dump in the dump for a home, and they're proud of it. They want me to see their house. I, 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 was just, I, couldn't, I, I had no words. And so now it's time for church. I want to have a, so we had a little bit of a, Service. I wanted to share the word. And, and so we had a worship time before. I figured, oh my goodness, we're going to have worship. But there's no, we don't have guitars or anything here. And so the men and some of the women, they, they, they took what they found, those plastic containers, and it became their drums. And they used for drums these plastic containers and a few things, a few other things. Of what they found some kind of wind instrument of what sorts. I can't even remember what it was. And we had a worship time with garbage. Garbage was our tools. That was the worship instruments. Garbage. Pure garbage. And they sang. And we worshipped. And I'm trying to sing. And I, I, I couldn't handle the smell. And I'm trying to function here. And these people are worshipping. And the Lord smote me. He says, how dare you? How dare you? I'll tell you, my friends, I had one of the greatest worship times in, the, in all of my life that day. No, my friends, worship is not based on circumstances. Not at all. Worship is based on your relationship with God. Period. I got to close but verse 16 notice Gideon now divides 300 men into three companies and trumpets into every man's hand and with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers my God wow 
You see, friends, God's ways are not our ways. What, what are the weapons? Empty pitchers, torches, trumpets. These are the weapons you're going to go into battle with. Don't ever think the battle that you are in is going to be won because how clever you are. Don't ever think you're going to win that battle because you're smarter than somebody else or because you're richer than somebody else. Their weapons were torches, trumpets, and empty pitchers to fight a monstrosity of an army, to fight the latest state-of-the-art technology in warfare. That's right, empty pitchers, torches. Oh, my friends. God's tools are so different than ours, aren't they? David used a little pebble to kill a monster. Obscure scripture found in Judges chapter 3, verse 31. Shamgar used a whip to kill 600 Philistines. A whip, an ox goad, a whip. When was the last time anybody was able to do that? Because you see, the power is not in the whip. The power is in the name of Jesus, you see. Samson used the jawbone of a donkey. His tools are not his, our tools. His ways are not our ways. His methods are not our methods. And now in verses 70 to 22, the Midianites were terrified, the Bible says. They were terrified and were confused by the noise. There's shouting going on. There's shout. There's something about a shout. There's something about a shout, my friends. Let the redeemed say so. Shout unto the Lord the voice of the ark of triumph. Shout. They're shouting. They're shouting the praises. They're shouting. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the Amalekites start killing the Amalekites. The Midianites start killing the Midian. What? What do you mean what's going on here? They're starting to fight against themselves. My God, can you imagine that? They start killing themselves. And they just stood back and watched just as the prophecy said. Oh, I've got to ask you, have we seen this before? Yes, we have. I just read you from 2 Chronicles 13. Have we seen this before? Absolutely. Exodus 14, 13, when God split the Red Sea open, and, then, and all of a sudden, as the Israelites are going through, the waters cave in, and all the Egyptians drown. All of them are drowning. They've died. God performed the miracle. We also see it in Chronicles 20, 21, and 23. 2 Chronicles 20, 21, and 23. Look what the Bible says. We've been talking a lot about Jehoshaphat. Look what it says. So Jehoshaphat has worshipped the Lord. He's heard from God. He goes into battle. Verse 20. And they rose up early in the morning. They went forth in the wilderness. And said, believe me, hear me. God's going to be with us. Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers to the Lord, and we would praise his worship and beauty before the army, and said, "Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever." And when they began to praise and they began to sing and worship, the Lord set an ambush against the children of Ammon and Moab. 
came against each other and they killed each other. It happens here again. Why do you fear the enemy? As if he's got more power than God. Are you like Israel who fears Goliath more than you do God? What's my conclusion? What's the life lesson? What do we learn from all this? George, please show me Isaiah 64 verse 4. One of my favorite, in fact, I have used this scripture over and over and over again. The Bible says, the Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him. The Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him. The Lord works on behalf of those who wait. Did you see that? The Lord is working on those who are waiting. The Lord is working as you trust Him, as you praise Him, as you worship Him, as you wait on Him. God is going to work behind the scenes. You don't have to work your way out. Stop defending yourself. I don't know who I'm speaking to. Stop trying to put up your dukes and fight your way through it. Stop kicking and scratching and biting. Stop it. Trying to vindicate yourself. Well, look what they are. Look what he... Stop it. You're just getting deeper into the hole. When will you allow God to fight your battles? The Lord works on behalf of those who wait upon him. You see, friends, Gideon, Gideon, his faith dispelled his fear. He finally ended up seeing, and notice verse 22, the enemy fled and they ran in fear. Oh, I see, I see something. So Gideon started off with fear. Now he's got faith faith to trust God and now his enemies are running away in fear did you see that wow what do I see God took the fear that was in Gideon's heart and put it in the hearts of the Midianites and he took the courage and confidence that was in the hearts of the Midianites originally and put it into Gideon's heart I call that divine exchange or maybe better a divine infusion but really it's an exchange the confidence of the Midianites went upon Gideon and the fear of Gideon went upon the Midianites wow what is it God turned it he turned it around God will restore the years that the locusts you see, have eaten. Gideon saw the Midianites as locusts, and now he's going to turn them around. Hallelujah. What a God we serve. You see, friends, it doesn't matter how, what you're facing. It doesn't matter what pit you're hiding in. God can take your pit and bring it into a pedestal. Yeah, take that pit, turn it into a pedestal for your life. He can take the cave that you're hiding. Oh, Gideon, stop hiding in the cave, and he can turn your cave into a castle. 
God turned it around. That's the lesson. Against all odds, mission impossible, as my title says, became possible. My God, God can make a difference. All they did was stand and looked at the glory of God as they shouted and they took the torches and they saw, they stood and they saw exactly what they were told to do. Oh my friends, they watched how God rescued them. What do you think Paul says in Ephesians? Having done all, let us, having done all, let us, Having done all, let us stand, stand and behold the glory of the Lord. Oh friends, God can do it, he's doing it in. I got to close, got to close. Two personal stories in my life I got to share with you. Two of them, very briefly, but I got to close with this. Most of you heard, and I usually share this around Halloween time, but it doesn't matter. When I was working with my mother in 1981, I worked in Montreal in a place called Place Dupree on St. Hubert and St. Catherine, and I was selling clothes. My mother had a store. And I met a young man there, a witness to him, shared the gospel with him, and he seemed very sincere. But there was something gravely wrong. And one day he looked at me, he says, you better stop talking to me about God. You see the man behind me? I go, yeah. He says, that's my high priest. You're what? That's my high priest. I go, high priest? I, I just automatically thought of the Old Testament, but that's not what, what high priest. He was involved in the church of Satan. And he wanted to recruit me. And I thought it was the other way around. He says, if you don't stop sharing the gospel, he's going to put a curse on you. I just got saved, basically, a lot of fear in my life. Let me tell you, I was, I was terrified. Well, I, I couldn't stop preaching the gospel. And that's what I did. But I kept praying and praying and praying. And he told me, Dino, if you don't stop. I was amazed that they even knew that I was doing it. I was amazed that they knew I was sharing the gospel. They said, we're in a spiritual battle, my friends. He came to me that day and said, Dino, he's going to put a curse on you tonight because you haven't stopped. So I went home that day, and I prayed and prayed and prayed. The next day, the day after, I'm not sure whether it was the next day, or the next day after that, I saw Jean-Baptiste there, and he seemed different. I said, what's the matter? Are you okay? He says, he says you're okay? I go, yeah, I'm fine. He says, yeah, I thought so. I go, what's the matter? He said, well, my high priest mysteriously died the night that he put a curse on you. And friends, what happened, I found out later, what happened in the spirit, I knew that the curse he put on me, the demonic Midianites that came against me, God turned it around and they fought against themselves. Do you see? Divine exchange. One day I was surrounded with five men. I was on vacation in Wildwood, New Jersey. Now, when I wasn't saved by any stretch, I went to a party, all-night party. I got home about 6 in the morning. I was staying at a hotel. And some guy, I don't even know how he got into my room, he shakes me up and throws me out of bed, throws the mattress away, 
He was looking for something. He says, you stole some money, didn't you? I go, what? What money? You were at a party last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were the last one to leave? I go, yeah. He says, you stole $200. I go, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. And he was looking around. He says, all right. If you don't give it to me, there's five people downstairs that want to talk to you. I looked at, there were five men down waiting for me to come down. He said, you better come down or I'll take care of you right here. Could you believe this? I thought I'm in a dream here. I'm watching some kind of movie or something. Bring me downstairs. I'm surrounded with five, five men. Found out they're from the mafia. So this girl, that uh, party that, that she was hosting, uh, she lost, she, somebody stole money from her and because I was the last one to leave, they thought I did it. So they surrounded me. They were going to beat me to a pulp because I didn't have the money. And I, I knew that because the way they, the guys say, if you don't give me, we're going to, and these were mafiosos, and I can, I can see they're ready to either beat me to death or literally kill me. Literally. I know this is hard for me to say, but this is exactly what happened. And so as this took place, all of a sudden, this girl walks by. I thought I recognized her, and she looks at the men, and I think she says, hey, Tony, hey, Tony, it's not him. I don't know where, it's not him. And they were sure because one of them recognized me, and all of a sudden, all these five men who were out to kill me, hurt me, they got very confused. And they said, what, what are we doing here? And, and I, I, it was just, I, I could not believe what happened. All of a sudden, these men, they like lost interest in even knowing who I was, and they just disbanded and left me there. My friends, God will make a way where there seems to be no way. God can turn things around. And if you can just trust Him and worship Him through the circumstances, worship Him through the Midianites, worship Him through the pain and the agony, trust Him through it all. At the right time, and at the right moment, a divine exchange will take place. Something powerful will take place. Something glorious will take place. And you'll be able to say, stand back and watch and see the glory of the Lord manifest. Let's all stand together, please. I want us to worship. Can we just worship for a few moments? Sister, just, just begin to lead us. Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
going to invite all the board members that we prayed for to come forward. All of you, please, that are here. Carlton can't be with us. He's in Jamaica. Tim, you can represent Carlton since you... Uh, come on up. Every head bowed for a moment, please. Very straight, very just simple. How many are facing many nights this morning? And you feel that you are vastly outnumbered. You look at your situation and you just, it's just too extreme. You don't, you just don't know how you're going to get through it or how you're going to do it. You don't know how you're going to make it. Well, let me tell you something, friends. You're not going to make it because you're smart. Because you're better than somebody else or because you're using the same weapons that the Midianites are using because you're going to lose if that's the case. You cannot outsmart the devil. Sorry, you're not that smart. Nor am I. You can't. He's been around a long longer than you have. But when you begin to worship the Lord, you begin to entrust your life into his hands when you begin to walk by faith and not by sight I want everybody here this morning who wants prayer you're facing the enemy you're facing the Amalekites the Amalekites have great meanings your situation might be a family situation it might be a personal bondage to something it might be a career situation whatever it is that seems to be surmounting it seems to be too vast. You see locusts and you see the odds. You see what my title says. A mission that's impossible. But remember. God works best. In the realm. Of the impossible. How many would say. Yeah pastor. I, I need prayer. If that's you. I just want you to come out of your pew and I want you to face one of these board members and we're going to pray for you. Just come on out. Face one of the board members. And we're going to believe God for miracles today. For the victory. Remember, Jehoshaphat worshipped before the victory came. Gideon worshipped before the Midianites were destroyed. Do you see it? Come over here. There's three more places. front of sharing just find doesn't matter who just find somebody get ready Pastor Melody you stay there that's fine Pastor Nadia just come over here just in front of my wife okay there's still some more okay my next I'm gonna I'm gonna invite the intercessors that come on Friday to come. So Sarah, I want you here. Gloria, I want you here. Pastor Davis, Brother Davis, please. 
Can you come? Because they're going to stand in front of you. You're going to be praying as well. Putting you to work today. Is that okay? I want you to find somebody. Okay. Some sisters come over here. There's my wife there and there's uh, missionary Davis. Brother Davis. We're in front of Gloria. You can say in front of Okay. Paula, can you stand in front of Gloria? No, no, the other way around. Yeah. Do, we all, do we all have a prayer partner? Elaine, you stay there. Yeah, she can. Okay. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go into battle in the spirit realm, okay? Now, what I want you to do is I want you very quietly to speak into the ear of that intercessor, that person who's going to pray for you, and tell them what you need prayer for. Okay, just go ahead now and start talking to them. Tell them what you need prayer for. Before we pray, before we go into battle, has everybody been... To, we want to wait till everybody's finished. We're going to follow the scriptures today. Yet, we're not praying yet. No, uh, Walden, Walden, we're not praying yet. Just wait. Sarah, we're not praying yet. Gloria, you finished there? We're not praying yet, okay? Okay, she's with me. Nadia, we're not praying yet. We're not praying yet. We're going to worship first, okay? We're going to worship first. We're not going into battle first. We're going to worship first. What we are praying is a form of spiritual warfare. It's a battle. But before we pray, we're going to worship. We're following the scriptures today. Okay? So we're going to lead into worship. And then after at the right time, we're going to begin to intercede. Are you with me? Let's worship the Lord. This is how, this is how I fight my